American Capitalism, A History, with Lewis Hyman and Edward Baptist. So Lewis likes to use a term called precariat. And uh, I, I'm going to tell a little story, and we're going to see if this actually fits into that category. So when I was in high school, I was hired to work in a grocery store. And this was at a time when the, the minimum wage was $3.35 an hour, which is much lower than it is now. Uh, but I was happy, I was happy to get that. Uh, and I was uh, able to join a union, uh, which I did. And I looked around and I saw that there were some older people who had made a career of working in the grocery store. And they worked for uh, um, many years in the grocery store and they got 40 hours a week and a pretty good salary and benefits, vacation. They had the opportunity to buy stock in the company. And I was just working after school, so I didn't you know, really want to um, get a 40-hour-a-week job yet. But there were other people, young adults, uh, a few years older than me, who wanted to do that. And what I discovered was the grocery store was systematically refusing to hire them at 40 hours a week. Instead, they would hire them at 20 hours a week and tell them to go get another part-time job somewhere else. So is this and what this you is mean? The, this is the essence. And the term actually comes from a guy named Guy Standing. But it is a way to juxtapose the sort of stable work of the post-war with the more unstable work of today. So if there is an industrial proletariat, that is all those people working in factories that have long-term contracts, that have steady wages, that have overtime, that have health insurance, that have job stability. What we live in now is something that is called the precariat or the precarious proletariat in that so many people are struggling to make ends meet on these part-time jobs, on these temporary gigs, on these uncertain futures. And it's that instability that characterizes the labor force beginning in the 1980s and 90s. It's something that is really comes out of the 1970s and stagflation, but people start to realize that there's actually not going to be one career for you going forward in your life. And this is terrifying. This is at odds with the entire American promise of the post-war. And this is how most people begin to encounter the new instability of the neoliberal era. Okay, okay, wait, so now I get it. So precariat and proletariat, it's kind of a play on words. So the precariat rep replaces the old proletariat. But what are the advantages of this for people involved in the system? Are there advantages for the employers, advantages for investors, advantages for workers? Are there so advantages? As, yeah, so the idea, uh, as initially the idea of having temporary workers as part of your firm is, well, of course, in the 1950s and 60s, there were temporary workers, and they were mostly just people who filled in when people got sick. But by the 70s and 80s, they start to become almost an adjunct part of this core part of the workers. So that as t times went high or times went low, you could hire temporary workers as needed. And this would protect those core workers. So this core set of core workers in a corporation, uh, whether it's an industrial firm or a service firm, would be able to have that post-war life of a stable job. And this part out here would fluctuate. But as time went on, by the 80s and 90s, especially in the 90s, as you start to get into the era of downsizing, especially after the recession of the early 90s, companies begin to think about, well, why even have this core part of the firm anymore? Why not just constantly outsource 
constantly employ temporary workers who we can employ um, without the need to pay benefits, without any need of obligation in the long term between the firm and the worker. And this is really where it comes from, this instability. So what are the consequences for workers on the one hand, and what are the consequences for investors? Yeah, for workers, um, it is for those who are at the top of the precar- at the top of society. For instance, consultants and people who have you know entrepreneurs with their own little firms. Then it's it's a great thing. They can really engage with this more unstable world and create opportunities for themselves. But for most people, people who are stringing together two three jobs at a time, who work as adults at McDonald's or at a grocery store, a job that would have been for teenagers in the post-war, it becomes increasingly difficult to make ends meet. And you can see this shift in the very structure of the labor force driving part of the new inequality. So for investors and for the corporations that uh, those investors buy stock from, uh, what we see is, is this time period from the 80s un, until uh, 2013, we see tremendous gains in the stock market and in the profitability and in the stock prices of these companies. Are those, um, those shifts directly related, the shift to a precariat model and the long run-up in the, um, uh, the profitability and the um, uh, capitalization of American companies? Well, certainly the ability to depress wages increases the profits of corporations. And the ability to threaten any worker with the outsourcing or replacement by a temporary worker enables capital to have a a new, basically a new arsenal against workers. They're no longer invested in long-term stability. They're only interested in short-term profits. And this shareholder value that is maximized through uh, the stock market takes priority. Though there are other stakeholders in the corporation whether it's um, managers, workers, or even consumers. So as I was working at the grocery store and looking around at these older people and, and also looking at uh, the sort of narrowing opportunity for a lot of the younger people, I started to wonder, why is it that this company didn't try this 20 years ago or 30 years ago or 40 years ago? It was obviously connected to increasing profitability. Well, it, it goes back to what we were saying about conglomerates and about the post-war corporation and planning. So that these corporations were afraid, they were terrified of being market-oriented. They wanted to bring everything inside and to keep order. And it was that long-term planning, that belief in managerial science, which would make corporations profitable. But by the 1970s, it's a way for companies to, as the companies become more market-oriented, as they begin become more interested in cutting up into their component parts and thinking about um, spreading themselves out into the along the value chain, that they begin to say, well, maybe we don't need to have a stable labor force. Maybe we can just put that part over here, especially if it's not a high-value-add part of the corporation. And so they can employ contract labor and manufacturers for manufacturing and just keep um, the most essential parts of the labor force inside so that Nike, Apple, don't manufacture anything. They keep all their designers in-house, all the sort of high salary, very expensive, high knowledge staff in-house, and everything else is outsourced. Nike and Apple do not own factories. And this is the essence of the transformation, not just for labor, but for capital in the last 30 years. All right, so wait a minute. You're telling this story as if 
everything happened because of a change in what managers believe. And I, I know that's part of the story. But Ideology it, does matter. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It matters. I, I agree. But at the same time, I know that if, if uh, the company I worked for had attempted to impose those, those kinds of contracts in previous decades, then there could quite possibly have been a strike. And the union might not have won the strike, but it would have been very uncomfortable for the company. That much is, is sure. No, you're absolutely right. And so through the 70s and 80s, you see a succession of buyouts of, of unions, right? On the docks, in factories, especially auto factories, of people who are being bought out of their contracts and replaced by younger workers who have less, you know, less protection, less representation. And temporary workers are part of the system. They're part of a system that... Um, protects these core workers with their good post-war Fordist union jobs, and in the in this alongside them are these younger workers who never get access. They're part of this post-Fordist economy that's unstable, that's flexible, that has all these benefits for shareholders but not for uh, workers. And so there is this juxtaposition. So unions, American unions, are somewhat complicit in this, in that it benefits. The workers, the union workers, but not union possible union workers of the next generation. So you have a, a, a sort of a split in the workplace, right? So you have an older generation of people who think of themselves as as working class uh, and they identify as working class and and poles as blue collar workers, but they've decided that their interests are different from the younger workers, and the younger workers really are the precariat at that point. And it goes back to partially what you were just saying about whether or not they identify as working class. Mm -hmm. They identify as unionists, but really this sort of larger notion of class as sort of a radical identity in America is really ebbing by this point. So that they identify with the, they identify as people who work and in these unions, but they don't see themselves as part of a radical class. And this is both the promise and the poison of the way in which American unions become part of corporate liberalism in the post-war. They rely on the state to enforce their contracts. They rely on the state to enforce their identity. And so they abandon these older notions of radical class. And so the AFL-CIO is successful in many ways, but not in sustaining itself for the next generation. For more information, go to edX.org and look for American Capitalism, A History, with Lewis Hyman and Edward Baptist or go to facebook.com slash American Capitalism MOOC. This podcast has been brought to you by Cornell X from Cornell University. Mm -hmm.